out and make an appointment and see if you can actually, if it's not raining, have some time together outside with somebody that you want to talk to. But yeah. at least the drop-in centre is open. We can have an extra four people in the space. But, you know, for comforts purposes and really for, for to make it private and to make it local, it's probably a good idea to maybe go outside and sit in the sun if it's there and have a chat that way. Well, the majority of things can still be organised um, by the telephone if you want a naloxone delivery, you yep. want, you know, a support letter written, you want some advice. You know, and we still have like 435, I think, yesterday, infections with COVID. Is that right? The new infections yeah. with COVID. I think that was yesterday, wasn't well, it? I think so, around yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And that's pre- I think yeah. that's, well, I'm, I'm sus- yeah. suspect it's largely related to students, the return yeah. of the oh, overseas yeah. students yeah. and yeah. that going back to school was always going to be a problem. We were always going to have to expect, you know, more COVID out of that. So you need to keep yourself safe with that. And the international flights have restarted and Canberra's the capital. It's not surprising. Absolutely, that we're going to get more from that. I'll just finish this piece about karma so we can assist people with a wide range of issues. So that includes advice and advocacy around opioid maintenance treatments such as methadone, suboxone and injectable buprenorphine implants. Accessing treatment for hepatitis C, helping people to cope with and overcome the impact of stigma and discrimination directed towards illicit drug users by mainstream media and helping people to access detox, rehab and other drug treatment services. Karma offers walk-in health clinic with a doctor and nurse in attendance from 10am till 2pm every Wednesday. Ah, so Karma offers peer education workshops, including opioid uh, overdose management training, which incorporates take-home monoloxone, Muragudi, which is the Connections Harm Reduction Peer Education Program for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients, and The Fix, which is a series of one-hour workshops that aim to educate people in all aspects of harm reduction in the illicit drug use spectrum. Karma and The Connection provide assistance and advocacy for people who are experiencing issues around housing, police and the courts, child custody and Centrelink. So a lot of the government services are really parts, places that our client, our customers and our peers have to fight with and yep. against. Absolutely. And that's a real problem. And having an advocate with you always helps. Oh, it's very definitely. difficult to speak for yourself because you feel guilty. We've been made to feel guilty for years. Yeah. So yeah, having somebody with you to speak on your behalf and to make sure that you are getting your rights attended to and fulfilled. Very bad. I yeah. think the best thing about Karma is that um, if one worker can't help you, another worker there has the experience That's right. and has gone through what you've gone through. So Absolutely. you'll always find someone that can find help Someone you. who can yep. steer right. in the right we're direction. We're not all old farts like me. <laughs> no, I've got some fresh blood coming <laughs> through. Got, we've got new people coming through. I'm a youngin. <laughs> if you're interested in being a, a volunteer with Karma, you might get in touch with uh, Natasha and, yeah. and see if there's something you can do. Um, because I'm a sure there's bit a role. Of a, and a, hiatus on, on that, a little is bit there? training yeah. the next lot because we're really consolidating things okay, maybe, Well, maybe that's the opioid overdose management training, yeah? Anyway, if you're having problems associated with alcohol and drug use and don't know where to get help, or even if you just want to have a chat about your drug use with someone who can 
empathise with your experience and who won't judge you for it, give Karma a call. And that number is, again, 62533643. If we can't help you, then we'll find you someone who can. Exactly right, Marion. Um, Monica asked me just to uh, reiterate that the much-anticipated Jude Byrne Women's Support Group is about to start. Yay. Which has um, sort of been on hold because of COVID issues mm. and, you know, we all know what's been happening yep. uh, there with the pandemic. Um, due to having – it's about to start. So due, due to having uh, to follow COVID-safe protocols, numbers will be strictly limited. Before dates are set for the upcoming group um, – Monica would like to get an idea of the number of people interested in attending. Uh, it'll be a closed group due to the nature of what is discussed. Yeah, so what happens in the group stays in the group. It yeah. stays in the group, yeah. It has As will the attendees, yeah. the names of the attendees. It has okay. to be confidential and yep. people have to have confidence. And it's it really all about women and their children or women who don't have their children because of family services. So feel... Yep. Don't feel like you have to give away anything about yourself to anybody who doesn't know anything about you. It is your stuff. It's private. It won't go anywhere else. But you might find a great bunch of people who have been who are, in similar circumstances. And who know what you're going through and know how to know how to battle with family services because that's what you have to do. Yeah, it's a difficult... Yeah, and it's uh, the whole point of the group is to teach you and... Put you in touch with other people mm. who know how to do it, and Monica is going to let you know how to have a, how to combat family services and how to stand up for yourself, and perhaps go with you or teach each other how to behave for family services purposes, what yep. they need you to be seen to be doing so that you have access to your children again. I think the possibilities and potential are enormous. Oh, it's, oh, it's going to be a great group. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And the need has been there for a long time. So, it um, certainly has. So keep that in mind. If you're interested in um, getting involved, you can just leave a contact and uh, a name, yeah. an alias yeah, if you like. Just 6253 Get in contact with Mon or Louise. Yep. Yep. Monica or Louise. And, and they'll um, get back to you if they can't speak to you at that time. Yep. They'll get straight back to you as soon as they can. Absolutely. All right, this news from the Drug War Front report. Um, uh, sorry, where is it? Oh, yeah, the contents of the, there's an extra sentence added in that shouldn't have been there. The contents of this news from the Drug War Front broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of the Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and does not promote illicit activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and UN conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care and Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people, which shouldn't be too hard to, um, to argue for. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, should be the minimum that we... Look, there's a list of uh, human rights that uh, apply to everybody else in the world, apparently, except us. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. 
you know, NPORT have put out a list of human rights that do apply to us and really, as I said to Geoffrey when he showed them to me, I was surprised to think that I was in fact entitled to be called a human and to be mm. delivered human rights like every mm. other person yep. in the world. Not something we heard too No, much not something, everything, anything. <laughs> no one ever said that to yeah, me before yeah. in my life, so I was really surprised, but it's there. Well, let's go to our first song. Let's um, do that. Pick an old one as I normally do. Um, it's Credence Clearwater Revival and oh, yeah. I Put a Spell on You. Uh, Credence. That's a good one. Credence, yeah. Credence Clearwater Revival and I Put a like Spell it. on You. Yeah. <laughs> good one for Bryce. Bryce yep. has memory lovely memories that one. with that one. <laughs> you got good memories that oh, one? Yeah, sort yes, of good memories. memories uh, you got memories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, <laughs> Family memories. Good Music band, is wonderful for that, isn't it? I can bring it back to a moment, feeling or emotional oh, memory yeah. in an Look, instant. Every, every bit of memory that... Well, every bit of every bit of music that I remember has mm. something associated something with it, it. Yeah. that reminds me. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. More often, sometimes good than bad. different. Yeah, it's <laughs> really powerful. Sometimes it just leaves you flat. We've got a piece from Victoria to yeah. keep up on. Yeah, and guess what? It's called "The War on Drugs Doesn't Work." <laughs> what a surprise! <laughs> Anyway, the new bill shines a light on old laws. This is by Joel Atwan, Atwool, News GP, uh, February the 23rd. Legislation before the Victorian Parliament proposes decriminalising drug use. It may not pass, but advocates for evidence-based health hope it has an impact. So do we. Anyway, it is a quote, uh, an evidence-based, sober and thoughtful... Sober, that's an interesting word to put in. Sober and thoughtful (laughs) debate. That's what Dr Hester Wilson, chair of RACGP, Specific Interests Addiction Medicine, hopes a proposed law to decriminalise drug use will generate. The legislation is contained in a bill that Fiona Patton of the Reason Party is putting forward to the Victorian State Parliament. It pushes for a shift of focus away from criminalising drug use towards prevention and treatment. Ms Patton argues, excuse me, that the issue should be seen primarily through a health lens and believes current legislation uses up police resources unnecessarily. Well, you only have to look at the allocation of resources and the majority of uh, drug resources from the federal government goes to the police, doesn't it? Um, Ms Patton argues that the issue... Yeah, we've done that with... She points towards figures published by Victoria's Crime Statistics Agency which shows most arrests involve drug users rather than large-scale suppliers. Of the 32,860 arrests for drug-related offences in Victoria in the year until September 2021... 25,000, that's of 32,800, 25,833 were for drug possession and 362 were for drug use, making 80% of the total. In fact, drug drug, (laughs) drug possession was one of the most common crimes registered by the Victorian police. With an average of 386.8 offences 
per 100,000 people in the same time frame, it was recorded more often than shoplifting, car theft or burglary. And it was the sixth most prevalent in official statistics. Wow. Ms Patton's bill aims to change that approach fundamentally and would allow Victorian police to give mandatory referrals to drug education or treatment to those suspected of using or possessing drugs instead of making arrests. Quote, irrefutable international evidence proves replacing criminal penalties with mandatory health and recovery treatment is the most effective and efficient way, Ms Patton said in a statement this month. Already Ms Patton's bill has generated plenty of discussion and that's really what we want. And Dr Wilson welcomes the framing of the issue from a health perspective. Quote, it's clear that that addiction, whatever it is to, is a significant whatever it is to, is a significant chronic relapsing health medical condition, Dr Wilson told News GP. She goes on to say people who have that condition are severely severely discriminated against and stigmatised. They are driven to behave in ways that they wouldn't have to if they didn't have this condition. As we say every week. Yeah. Um, Ms Patton cites a harmonisation approach as advocated by the World Health Organisation, the United Nations and the Global Commission on Drug Policy as indicative of a global trend away from the more traditional prohibition approach. Dr Wilson has seen the impact of decriminalisation laws firsthand, having gone to Portugal to observe how changing legislation impacted that country. With some of the highest overdose, overdose rates in Europe back in the 1990s, Portugal introduced laws in 2001 to address the problem. These included decriminalisation of all drugs for personal use. Quote, everybody had a family member who had been adversely affected. Everybody saw that what was happening was not working, that people that they loved were coming to harm. Decriminalisation in Portugal was just one aspect of a broad strategy, which also included significant investment in public health education, as well as drug prevention and treatment services. The impact was substantial. According to a UK parliamentary report looking into the prospect of decriminalisation in Scotland, the number of annual overdose deaths has fallen from 80 in 2001 to 30 in 2016. It now has a much lower rate of drug-related deaths than the European average, with fewer younger people using drugs. Could the bill put forward by Fiona Patton be a step towards a similar model for Victoria and away from a prohibition-based approach that she describes as, quote, one of the most disastrous public policy failures in modern history. Sounds like one of our quotes. That's a bit, doesn't it? The legislation is due to be debated on uh, Wednesday um, this week. Yeah. Um, however, as with most private members' bills, it's highly unlikely to pass. Last week, senior figures in the Victorian government, including the Treasurer, Tim Pallas, signalled that the bill would not gain the support that it needed. Mm. It advoca- uh, its advocates still hope putting the issue in the spotlight may lead to Victorian the Victorian Law Reform Commission to re- reconsider existing legislation, as well as potentially attracting more investment into prevention and addiction treatments. Both RAGCP President Dr Karen Price and the Victorian Chair Dr Anita Munoz also advocate for a shift away from punitive measures to a more health-based approach. Other figures involved in addiction treatment services have explicitly supported the bill and so the current legislation is due an overhaul. 
For Dr Wilson too, change is critical. She argues the system is continuing to let down some of society's most vulnerable members. We know young people are experimenting, she said. There's not good information out there and they're scared to come forward if they have a problem. They end up coming into contact with the criminal justice system, which is just an which has such an impact on their life trajectories. The way we're doing this things isn't working, she said. The war on drugs doesn't work. It just causes more harm. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's a quote from Dr Wilson. That's not from us, but it might as well be because that's mm. exactly what we've been saying for all the time that we've been on air, <laughs> yeah. let alone, you know, the 15 years before that when we weren't on air. Yeah. It's good to see that on the News GP website. How much louder do we need to bang the drum? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. How much more often? We just yeah. feel like we're on rotation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> per- permanently saying the same thing. Indeed. But okay, we must be getting pretty close, getting close to, to the, the news, o'clock news right? But um, that's an encouraging story to start it with. It is, and it's yeah. good. And Fiona's actually uh, got a piece from the news to an opinion piece um, from The Age beg your pardon, why Victoria should review its response to drugs and decriminalise usage, which Good. we might have a look at after Good the news. Good to see her getting so much but success, you know, with mm-hmm. the... Well, and getting the getting the exposure yeah. to the, you know, to the issue that it's due. We ne- And we've been saying that for years. We need that discussion, the public debate has to happen yep. before any change is made. And we need MPs prepared. People have to stand it. up and be yep. counted. Yep. Yep. All right, we're off to the news and we shall return. All right, welcome back from the news. It's coming up about four minutes after 11 and you're listening to news from the drug war front, brought to you by Karma and the Connection, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy. My name is Jeff, and uh, currently in the studio, Bryce is with me. Hello. And you've <laughs> actually brought in a CD, I a did. couple of CDs. It's queen. And um, brought in a Queen CD called Innuendo. And I'm not sure I know this song. Um, I'm going slightly mad. Yeah, yeah, just slightly. Just yeah, slightly. Anyway, uh, yeah. let, let's give it a spin. <laughs> let the song, song speak for itself. <laughs> let the song speak for itself. Yeah. Well, we know Queen are pretty awesome, so I'm sure it'll be good. Yeah. Here's Queen. Uh, mad yeah, yeah. every week. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to an international story, and um, as regular listeners know, Canada has been at the forefront of a lot of mm. actual positive reform and a lot of debate about the potential for further yeah. reform given the overdose um, epidemic and... Just horrendous loss of life they've had with fentanyl laced heroin. And we actually mm. talked about this bit before, and remember we said it a couple of weeks ago one of the reasons that heroin wasn't being used in Canada was because they couldn't get access to it. But by the sound of this uh, piece, it may well be available now. Mm, interesting. All right, well, this is from uh, the VancouverIsAwesome.com website, so a a local news um, site in Vancouver. Health Canada says heroin is now a new, in quotes, treatment option in Canada by Ilana Shepard. Uh, And the subheading is Vancouver-based advocates weigh in. Health Canada says it has legalised heroin as a treatment option for people with, quote, severe opioid use disorder. But local advocates in Vancouver say that the barriers to accessing clean heroin will still prevent the lion's share of people from getting it. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar? It does sound familiar, yes. Further, the announcement, or at least the way it was described on social media by Health Canada, uh, isn't new. 
On a Friday, February the 18th, the Federal Health Department quietly tweeted that it had, quote, approved morphine as a new treatment option for adult patients with severe opioid use disorder. The tweet includes a link to a website that shows that morphine, also known as heroin, will be supplied by a company called Pharma Science Inc., which is based out of Montreal. Whilst the program will be available to drug users who are enrolled in injectable opioid agonist treatment, or IOAT, programs, the drug is only available to people who have, quote, failed first, according to the verbiage, verbiage outlined in the product monograph. You've always got to read the fine print. <laughs> in other words, drug users must have failed previous attempts at opioid agonist therapy, including methadone maintenance therapy. Yeah, Guy Felicia is a Vancouver-based harm reduction advocate and motivational speaker who battled opioid addiction for decades in the city's downtown east side. For him, the announcement is a step in the right direction because it means Canada doesn't have to import a safe supply of heroin. But in fact, but in the fact that drug users must have a diagnosed severe substance use disorder means that many of the people who need it will not have access to it. He told Vancouver is awesome. Further, many of the people who are enrolled in programs drop out because they take up so much of their time, requiring members to return three times daily. Mm. Mm. There are so many barriers, Felicia remarked. It's almost like if you have an addiction and you're accessing a service like, like that with a substance use disorder, basically what they do is just create this other addiction where you have to basically give up your life to that. Yeah, we all often would assume that drug users have no lives outside of using drugs. So we're not going to give them any lives outside of using drugs and we're going to make them come to clinics every day. I mean, yeah. Mm. I mean, I had to access to... I had access to those programs for years and I just... This said to this is just too much, forget it. Felicia added that the announcement or the way it was presented by Health Canada on the Twitter isn't new. Heroin is already legally administered to drug users at two clinics in the Lower Mainland, one in Vancouver and one in Surrey. But these clinics service a very small percentage of people who use drugs and only so many spots are available. Instead, the announcement is that Canada now has a domestic manufacturer of morphine and doesn't have to rely on imports from places such as Switzerland. This means the number of people who can access heroin legally can dramatically increase. Several questions remain, however, including who can prescribe the heroin and what changes will be made to accessing it, if any. Mm, a widely expected announcement is the next heading. Dr Martin Schechter is a Canadian epidemiologist who demonstrated the effectiveness of diacetylmorphine and hydromorphone for the treatment of opioid dependence. He, along with BC's first provincial health officer, Dr Perry Kendall, led Fair Price Pharma, FPP, a Canadian non-profit pharma company that's been fighting for a safe supply of clean heroin for years. While Schechter said Health Canada's announcement was, quote, widely expected, he told VIA, that it won't make enough of a difference because the BC Ministry of Health told him that it does not intend to, quote, significantly expand the use of this injectable DAM or diacetylmorphone from pharma science beyond the few hundred people already receiving it as a result of BC Supreme Court decision. End quote. 
Additionally, the epidemiologist said it doesn't address a, quote, dramatic shift that has occurred in recent years where the majority of opioid users are inhaling their drugs, which is something FPP is focusing on in its formulations. Data released last week by the BC Coroner's Service shows the highest percentage of overdose deaths in the province from 2017 to 2020 was a result of smoking rather than injecting drugs. That's interesting. Mm. Eris Nix, a co-founder of the Drug User Liberation Front, told VIA that Health Canada's announcement will allow wider access to heroin in Canada, but that there are two issues to consider. Quote, one is an ethics question around the manufacture of drugs and the other is an ethics question around access, she explained, noting that the announcement grapples the first issue but leaves the latter largely unaddressed. I don't think the announcement does anything for 99% of drug users, stated the frustrated advocate, echoing concerns only people with severe substance use disorders who meet very strict qualifications will have access to the drugs. Yeah, I can relate to that. Quote, nobody can access it. It doesn't matter if it's manufactured here or not. Overdose deaths in BC increased by over 25% from 2020, with 1,765 deaths in 2020 and 2,224 overdose deaths in 2021. Wow. Yeah, that is over 100, isn't it? It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Yeah, it should be absolute. People should be alarmed and shocked. Well, I would have been... I mean, I thought the major promise, a major problem was that it was fentanyl in the drugs that was not responding Mm. to the amounts of of naloxone that people were being given if it was available. But now it's another one. VIA also reached out to Pharma Science for for comment. Okay. That's yeah, it for look, that one. It's it's sort of reminiscent of a lot of um, hopes of reform that end yeah. up being, you know, done in the detail. Yeah. You know, um, the, what is it? The, de- the devil's in the detail. The devil's in yeah. the detail. Yeah. And it's a real problem if you're going from um, picking up once a day to picking up three times a day, <laughs> then, you, you know, your life's gone. Boom. You might as well be back to your 24-hour-a-day like you know, market habit, habit. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. no other point. I mean, no other option mm. being made available if you go straight to that one. And the, I mean, the issue with diacetylmorphine or with what was the other one? I've totally forgotten that one. Hydromorphone. Yeah. Hydromorphone, yeah, yeah. Is that it's not, you know, once a day, it's or twice a day. And methadone may not cut it, but. and you know, diacetylmorphine might be what you want or closer to Mm. what you want, but it's not going to do anything for bringing people back into the community. It only brings them back in contact with treatment providers Mm. and that's something that's not necessarily the best thing in the world. We want people, we want us, I mean, they, they being you know, service providers from the health or from the government health sector to be in touch with them. Mm. But peer educators have contact with drug users and we we don't have a problem 
with that kind of communication. That's the matter of delivering services mm. and getting them in contact, but keeping them under control of government healthcare yep. providers. Yeah. And control yeah. is the big issue, isn't it? Yeah. We want to have our lives back under our control, not yeah. under you know, government health control. We don't want to be on their list of drug... And how do you prove that you're recalcitrant, you know, drug user? How do you prove that you've tried and failed? Mm. I mean, crying out loud, I haven't accessed any government health, you know, delivery program in terms of methadone or any of the others since... Way back 2021? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was at my last ad- so what do I count as? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. None of the above. Yeah. Well, the issue of social control is something that is uh, a barrier to so many people who what? don't want to give up control of their That's daily right. lives. That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, we have other things to do. Yes. That's the point, yeah. you know. We not just Dedicated to drug use, mm-hmm. there are other parts. I, mean, Seems to I be come the here every Tuesday as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. all we do. You have other things yeah. to do, yeah. right? No, I spend yeah twenty four hours, seven days a week just. That's all you do. Yeah. Yeah. You are that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. we'd have Looking eight hours that. off to sleep, yeah. right? And the rest <laughs> of the time would be breakfast, lunch, and dinner mm. in at the injection clinic. Yeah. That'd pretty much be it, wouldn't it? Yeah. And then I guess assessment every now and then as to whether we're still going well or not. Yeah. Or still behaving ourselves or not. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it is. It's jumping the hoops, going through the hoops or jumping over the hurdles. Yeah. I think people will probably back off from that at a rate of knots and stay at their one or two shots a day from their illicit drug use providers so they've got the rest of their lives. Yeah. To fill up with their kids or with, mm. you know, their job or, you know, the other stuff that they do in the community or their writing, whatever else, or their art, whatever else they're doing. But it's plenty of other stuff, I can assure you. It's not just <laughs> using drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So well said, Marion, and it's going to take a huge change in the mindset of the powers that be. Mm to um, alter their approach to it's always about control and preventing diversion and keeping tabs on people and, you know, it's... Yeah, um, Uh, yeah, at the control issue, Geoffrey, that's the big problem, isn't it? It's actually saying, you know, well, we've still got... We've got contact with people. We can... We can interview them now. We can make sure what their behaviour is like, what their health care is like, but, you know... They haven't got anything else to do except no. come in and attend to us. Yeah. Make sure they're jumping through our hoops because you can bet your boots that that's not all they're going to want, you know, in exchange for getting the drug you want, supposedly, the diacetylmorphone, if that's what they're going to give you, three times a day if you get through those hoops. Mm-hmm. What are they going to be wanting us to do? Well, look at the Nothing else. attempts to provide um, government-sanctioned cannabis treatments for people. Oh, the it's a nightmare, and, isn't it? And, and yeah. barriers. Yeah. Yeah. And the police haven't come to grips with it at all. No. Yeah, they've made no changes to their behaviour. No. They really have kept on... They've maintained their... their um, same old, same old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's go for the drug users. Let's, yeah. Because they're slow. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's sort of... Easy to catch. <laughs> sort of ironic with these um, Ottawa truck convoy, you know, I don't know what the whole mixture of issues, anti-backs and anti... You know, stopping our freedom, etc. Well, isn't this an essential freedom as well? The right to decide what you put in your own body, you know? Maybe we should yeah. have a convoy. <laughs> Maybe we should have a convoy. You know, any yeah. truck drivers? <laughs> yeah, there's a whole stack of them in town. They've been yeah. Yeah. <laughs> blocking up Commonwealth Avenue Bridge just about yeah. every day and making a mess of Canberra. I was reading about just that. Just about every day. It's really been a nightmare. And yeah. for a lot of people it was pretty... Yeah, trying to shop at Dixon is a nightmare. It was yeah? pretty unpleasant, yeah. wasn't it, for a lot of people? It still yeah, it was... is very unpleasant. <laughs> Yeah. But it hasn't stopped yet. Yeah. But it's not anywhere. as unpleasant. Yeah. Sorry, bro. They'll be back for budget week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that what they're planning? Yeah, yeah, they'll be back. Oh, I don't think they've gone away, no, mate. No, no, They're just mm. trying to find somewhere to live that won't kick them off their um, territory. Yeah. They keep on trying to go back to Epic to stay there, but we've got the Canberra show on there at the moment. So, you know, there are other things that are in the way of their campsites. Well, didn't they prevent the Lifeline Annual Book mm. Fair going ahead, they which is did. their main fundraising? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking probably that Lifeline will get another spot allocated for them. I though, really because hope that so. is, Well, I think they will because that's their main fundraising event and I can't see the government um, saying, no, 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 we won't let you have another date for your book fair because that's the only way they can run. And they need Lifeline. They advertise it all the time. Whenever they're you know talking about um, mental health issues, they always advertise yep. the lifeline yeah, as, a, as a resource. So if it's not available, and it wouldn't be if they could didn't you know raise their funds yep. um, through the book fair, they um, wouldn't be av- able to afford to run it because it's twenty four hour. A day, seven day a week service. Oh, they wouldn't yeah. be able to run it. You don't do that for um, free. The government funding. Well, yeah. government funding's not going to give it to them. They no. use volunteers. Much yes, largely. that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's using, but still got to run it seven days a week. Still administration and logistics and yeah. yeah look, I've been to Lifeline uh, Book Fair at Epic uh, a number of times since moving to Canberra, and it's a fantastic uh, event. You know, yeah, so I much look, quality stuff. People look forward to it every year. You know, it's a Great thing. And it was a real cock-up not having it run this year. It yeah. was really unfortunate. Real disaster. All right, let's go to a song. Um, another Australian band, uh, The Sunny Boys and Ooh. Alone With You, which is one of my favourites. Oh, yeah, that's a goodie. <laughs> and we'll Ooh. be back after The Sunny Boys. All right, that was The Sunny Boys and Alone With You. All right, it's coming up about uh, 29 past 11. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front with Jeff, Marion and Bryce in Studio One. X People Powered Radio, 98.3 FM. And just like always, uh, every week, uh, Marion and I do a shout-out to X just for... Uh, just for being us, here, yeah. basically, People Powered Radio, the best thing in the world. Mm. Best way to get your opinion out there. Um, it's free. Well, in that, it doesn't cost much to join. No. All you need to do is to be a member, get in touch with X. Sponsor to Double X because you know public radio is a very powerful medium. Having access, having your voice heard over the radio is actually creating discussion, Absolutely. creating a place, a venue for ideas, and having people listen to what you say. And maybe going away and thinking about it for a while, and whether they whether people agree with you or not, at least they're thinking about it, and that's what we want people to do. Think about the issues we're talking about, because 
we know about what we're talking about. We're part of it. And we know we're talking to a lot of our friends, but we also hope to be talking about people that are new to us. And I meet people every week that I talk about the show to, tell them the name and the time and 98.3 on the FM dial is where you find 2XX People Powered Radio and... Yeah, sponsor us, big part of us. And yeah. 10.30 to 12 every yeah. Tuesday yeah. we're on. Yeah. So have a listen and yeah. be cool. part of 2XX. Feel free to give feedback um, Yeah, uh, through the website or call Karma or... Absolutely. Know. Put in a request for a song. We'll do it next week if we can get it. Yeah. We can't do it immediately, <laughs> but we're happy to try and accommodate people if we can. Generally, it's not available right on the day. We've got Under the Bridge um, requested for next week already. And we'll do that, yeah. uh, Look, I thought I'd do this um, story about Amsterdam. I've been to Amsterdam um, and loved it uh, and had a look at the coffee shops. Yeah, me too. I had a great time. Every time I've been overseas, I've been to Amsterdam. It's a wonderful city. Oh, yeah, it is. It's a great city. Absolutely wonderful city. Anyway, this is from CNN by Isabel Gerritsen. What's happened to Amsterdam's cannabis coffee shops during the COVID-19 pandemic? Once crowded by too many tourists, the canals of Amsterdam continued to stand empty, even as the Netherlands eased travel restrictions. The infamous red light district is also mostly deserted. The Dutch capital remains a ghost town. Wow. But what of that other famous Amsterdam institution? How have the city's cannabis spending uh, coffee shops fared during these troubled times? Starved of -of out-of-town visitors, many who flocked to the city just to take advantage of liberal drug laws... Have they survived? And in a world of face masks and concerns over indoor exhalations, <laughs> have they even been permitted to remain open? In fact, Dutch coffee shops never closed completely during the pandemic as they were classed as essential businesses. Wow. Unlike, unlike, that's interesting. I love it? that idea, an <laughs> essential business, yeah. I wasn't actually aware of that. Unlike <laughs> restaurants, cafes and nightclubs, must have annoyed a few restaurants. Yeah. But the cannabis cafes have been dealt a catastrophic blow due to a lack of the international tourists who were responsible for uh, quite a large share of their revenue. And while some have adapted to a new way of life, there are fears from those who work in them that they are in danger of vanishing. Wow. For business, it's been devastating, says Nick, a worker at the city centre other side coffee shop who did not want to give his surname for reasons of privacy. Pre-pandemic, the cafe was usually full during the week, noisy and buzzing with atmosphere as people socialised with each other while smoking a marijuana cigarette or eating a cannabis brownie. But on a Thursday afternoon in early February, there's just one person sitting inside working on a laptop while sipping a cup of coffee and smoking a cannabis joint. Quote, in my coffee shop, it's just been very empty and boring, says Nick. But other coffee shops outside the centre are busier than ever due to takeaway demand. During coronavirus, everybody is really sitting at home and smoking. Mm. Ah, like here. Survival (laughs) mode. Over half the capital of 167 coffee shops are in the centre and heavily reliant on tourism, says Joachim Helms of the Coffee Shop Owners Association, BCD. The coffee shops, he's quoted as saying, the coffee shops in the centre were really in survival mode during the past two years. He says, government financial aid allowed them to stay afloat. Government financial aid, wow, Jeffrey. <laughs> but this has only covered their rent and furlough for staff as they struggle to make any revenue, Helms says. 
When coronavirus overwhelmed Europe in March 2020, the Dutch government announced a strict lockdown and ordered all hospitality to close, including coffee shops. This decision was reversed almost immediately after people started buying cannabis illegally. Aha, that's why. Quote, the government worried that if they kept the coffee shops closed, people would turn to the streets and illegal dealers, says Helms. The shops were allowed to stay open, even during strictest lockdown lockdowns for takeaway service. The pandemic has highlighted that it's mainly tourists who consume cannabis in coffee shops. Locals tend to collect it and smoke it, smoke the drug elsewhere, probably at home, I would think. While the cafes have remained largely empty over the past two years, demand for cannabis has surged and takeaway sales have increased significantly. In residential areas, business has been especially good, says Helms, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when people were stockpiling cannabis in case coffee shops closed during a lockdown. In a survey by Trimbos, a Dutch mental health and addiction research institute, 41% of 1,563 respondents said they were using cannabis more since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. Nearly half, 49%, said they were smoking as much as before. Three quarters used cannabis almost daily after the government introduced lockdown measures. The main reasons for using cannabis were boredom, stress and loneliness. Some 75% were smoking every day. The takeaway business has been really good, says Maeve Larkin, who works in Hunter's Coffee Shop in the centre. People tend to buy bigger amounts than when they consume it in the cafe. So they're buying more and taking it home, mm, not yeah. doing it in a social setting. Yeah. So even though the lockdown has ended, strict rules remain in place for the entire Dutch hospitality sector. All customers must show a vaccination pass in the form of a QR code on their phones to buy a, a cannabis in a coffee shop. They must maintain a 1.5 metre distance while inside and wear masks while ordering. Coffee shops must stop serving at 10pm, but they are allowed to stay open until midnight for takeout. I wonder if you just throw the money at them. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, throw the dough back at you, unless you've got really long arms. <laughs> so these rules make it difficult for coffee shops to accommodate a large number of customers and to encourage people to stay inside instead of buying takeout. Helm said that the lockdown restrictions have changed the culture of Amsterdam's coffee shops. The foundation of the coffee shop policy is that where they that there are places that where you can consume cannabis in a responsible and safe way, and where you can meet people from all around the world. He says, "Very true." Mm. The whole point of coffee shops in Amsterdam is the relaxed vibe and the culture of it. That's gone now, says Larkin, adding that the current situation reminds her of the U.S. model, where in certain states people can buy cannabis from dispensaries. Very much like it. Um, now there's two people at a table. There's no spontaneity anymore. This cafe and the surrounding area used to be packed all the time, and now it's just dead. The rest of Europe and the rest of the world needs to know that we are open again, says Nick. I think it will be back to normal in about mid-March. As the coffee shops slowly begin their recovery, they face another hurdle, a possible ban on foreign tourists. Oh, wow. Well, Australia's been closed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Amsterdam Mayor Femke Halsema has proposed a policy that could see tourists, foreign tourists banned from the city's coffee shops. Other cities in the Netherlands, including Rotterdam and Maastricht, 
in the south of the country have already introduced such a ban to prevent cannabis tourists traveling across the border from Germany and Belgium. This ban, the ban aims to make tourism in the center more manageable and control the coffee shop supply chain. Alcima told councillors in a letter in 2019, she said coffee shops could put the quality of her life in the city under pressure. I wonder where she's getting that perspective because, mm. I mean, OK, it was only there a matter of days, but from what I saw, most of the civil dis- you know, disruption was from people pouring out of the pubs. Mm. Yeah, well, mm. yeah, well not- and that's always been the problem over there is that the teenagers were not getting into cannabis. They were hitting the grog. Yeah. And that was, you know, particularly during spring with Independence Day and the Queen's Birthday and, you know, Tulip Day, it was actually kids dancing on top of the bus stops Drunk as skunks. That was the problem. A lot of Alcohol's always been their problem. Tourists and too, yeah. Coming yeah. over for you know. Yeah. Anyway, the article goes on. Amsterdam's been struggling with mass tourism for tourism for years, alongside increasing discontentment among residents about loud noise, littering, and unruly behaviour from tourists. Before the pandemic, locals were complaining that Amsterdam has been transformed into a tourist Disney world. City authorities are determined not to return to the way things were before the pandemic and have warned rowdy visitors and tourists intent on drinking and taking drugs to stay away. Quote, we do not want to go back to what we saw before the pandemic where massive crowds in the red light district and the city's entertainment areas cause a nuisance to the residents, the city council said in a statement last summer. In a government survey in August 2019, which questioned 1,100 international tourists between the ages of 18 and 35 who visited the red light districts, 34% of respondents said they would come to Amsterdam less if they weren't able to go to court coffee shops. And 11% said they would not visit at all. Quote, if you introduce the tourist ban, the illegal market will get bigger, said Helms adding that this happened in March 2020 when the government closed coffee shops. I can see a tourist ban happening, says Helms. It would be a really bad decision for people living in the centre of Amsterdam, he says. It would also have an enormous effect on the thousands of people who work in coffee shops in the Dutch capital, he says. The coffee shop culture is so unique to Amsterdam... It would be really sad if it goes, says Larkin. Mm. And I, I agree. It's been going for so long and yes. is, like you said, seen as part of the culture of Amsterdam. Yeah. Well, outside of Amsterdam, there are only one or two coffee shops, like Rotterdam, there's only a couple of, oh. coffee, sh- of coffee shops in the other big cities. Amsterdam is really the centre of the coffee at. shop culture. Yeah. Yeah, and it would be really sad. And there are people, you know, Dutch people who use... Uh, the coffee shops as well. Oh, absolutely. But they also can have access, more access to the illegal market because they're locals. Mm-hmm. So, and really that's where they get their um, other illicit drugs from, like heroin and cocaine. They're not available on the legal market or from the coffee shop no. culture, no. but the connections yeah. may well be. Yeah. And if you live locally, that's where you're going to get your drugs from, the illicit market. Mm. So you're not going to really be improving anything for the local citizens um, by shutting the tourists down. No. And what you do is you shut down the tourism itself mm. and it isn't the tourists that are creating a mess and creating a bomb. It's actually the Dutch teenagers Mm. that are getting drunk. I must say that 
there are certain cultures, and this is without being particularly racist, you go to any country in Europe and you will find that there are people from or tourists from one country or another that are preferred over others. When I went over to Europe, I found in Greece they preferred Australian tourists at the time. In Germany, they didn't. Yeah. Because they were really badly behaved when they were drunk. Okay. Well, because they would go over for the beer and just, festival. Yeah, yeah, get smashed. Yeah, they get really ripped. But they really didn't mind Australians in most of the other countries. They weren't real fussed on the palms. They found that the English were really badly behaved, not good employees. <laughs> so it was really, you yeah. know, it was. But. Uh, Europe is full of racism. One way, you know, oh, they well, have, full of they've got <laughs> they've got history of you know mm. they still remember the Inquisition for crying out loud. Yeah. You know, the Dutch are still angry with the Spanish for the Inquisition. So you really they've got <laughs> lots of things of that they've hung over from about. years ago that they haven't forgotten about, and they still hold resentments against. So you know, yeah. what do you do? It's the, <laughs> this is the world. Yeah, yeah? I certainly hope Amsterdam them hold their nerve and yeah. continue on with such an yeah. important... Um, it seems to change with every mayor, though. It does, you know? yeah. yeah there's yeah. been a couple of threats yeah. in yeah. recent years of uh, doing this and it's, it's always... It's gone up and down, hasn't and it? Down. The, yeah. the availability and the frequency and yeah. the, the uh, positivity or the advocacy for, for, like, coffee shops or that culture of, of using of illicit drugs. And it's not about allowing them so much as it is being less um, uh, less anti, less against them, mm. you know, not having the ang- anger at them, not having the uh, discrimination against those people who are inclined to use marijuana. It's a much more drugs. pragmatic approach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's inevitably been the... Um, Label, I guess, for the Dutch is that they are a pragmatic race. Like to solve problems yeah. rather than yeah. unnecessarily un- make them yeah, worse. And don't, yeah, don't make it a big issue. Mm-hmm. You know, if you yeah. keep it a little bit further down under the gr- underground and don't make it a big deal, then people will just Most do what they just, do yeah. and it'll be quietly maintained yeah. Yeah. and be easily run. Yeah. But you make it a big issue, start advertising it and suddenly... The whole thing because have not come across when I was in. I've been in the Netherlands what three or four times um, for over a week, two weeks at a time, and at every stage, whenever there was a policy decision from the government, there was immediately an anti-policy response. Yeah. <laughs> a group of people, whoom, bah, who brought up a whole group of people that came and advocated anti-policy, whatever the policy was, they were always against it. So you'll always get people yeah. in that position over there. Yeah. Anyway. They're good like that. <laughs> people up to date with uh, developments there. Oh, um, speaking of which... Oh, um, yeah, we actually, um, I found a thing last night um, about the actual vice presidential candidates in the Philippines. People who listen to the show regularly know that we've railed against the president, um, Rodrigo Duterte's war. Who's been murdering drug drug users for Mm. years. By the thousands. Yeah. Um, And whilst he's not 
nominate him for another term. I don't think he's allowed to. He's been trying to. Get yeah, he's some been trying to make travelers. himself permanent, like Putin, permanent so, uh, prime president. It looks like some of the um, candidates are actually willing to reinstitute. Philippines member of the International Criminal Court, which... Mm, the vice presidential candidates have Vice been, presidential anyway. candidates, yeah. which is encouraging. Um, yeah. So I don't want to read all of this, Jeffrey. so... Yeah, do you, well, do you well, want to start off or will I? Or we'll we'll get play to... a quick song and then we'll sort of do a crazy of it. Let's do that. And then we, we won't have much of it, yeah. It's um, a, a brilliant uh, track by one of Australia's um, great artists, Kev Carmody, and it's Cannot Buy My, Cannot Buy My Soul, Kev Carmody. We, we promised our listeners that we'd keep you up to date with what was going on in the Philippines because good old Duterte and his, um, although he's not, we hope, going to be able to stand for president against the vice presidential mm. candidates, um, have expressing different views on uh, the drug war figures. Candidates debate the ICE, the International Criminal Court question. The drug war figures um, have been a big issue. Uh, over there, and because Duterte withdrew from the International Criminal Court, uh, the vice presidential candidates, as part of their position, have been advocating for rejoining the ICC or the International Criminal Court. Anyway, this is from gmannetwork.com from February the 26th. The vice presidential candidates expressed different views on Saturday on the possible return of the Philippines to the International Criminal Court or the ICC and the country's drug war on drug drugs, I think that means. During the vice presidential debate by CNN Philippines, Senate President Vincento Soto III says he favours the Philippines rejoining the ICC. Yes, obviously, he said, citing a resolution, which the members of the Senate filed before the Supreme Court, asserting their role in treaty withdrawals. Section 21, Article 7 of the 1987 Constitution said treaties or international agreements are valid and effective when, when concurred in or with by at least two-thirds of the Senate. Government lawyers argue the Constitution is silent on the need for Senate's approval in withdrawing from the treaties. Now, the next bit is in the Filipino, so the translation is, however, obviously the majority of the members of the Senate are in favour of the return to the ICC. If they want to investigate here, let's allow them to investigate. We would agree with that too, mm. Jeffrey, wouldn't we? Oh, I Let think they need to be back in the ICC so that Duterte and, can and be... And Duterte has been blocking that yeah. hand over fist. Because he knows he's vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, we're not hiding anything. We don't fear anything. And now they, Remember, this is vice presidential candidates and they may not be hiding or blocking anything. But uh, the same may not be said for the president. Vice, president, Vice presidential candidate Carlos Serapio also favoured rejoining the ICC. Quote, as a respectable member of the international community, I joined the Senate president, Vincente, uh, Vincente Soto III, in his stand that we should rejoin the ICC. For that matter, we should also be part of all other international organisations which help promote international harmony, cooperation and amity provided for in our constitution, Serapio said. Akison Democratico, Vice Presidential Bet, 
Willie Ong also said that Philippines should go back to being a member of the ICC. No, oh, the next bit is, oh, it says, yes, we should join, rejoin the ICC, Ong said. However, Ong stressed that the country's problem lies in its implementation on the war on drugs, which is true. We can, we can agree with that. That's what it's coming from. It says in brackets, the criminal justice approach may not be the most effective means to solve the drug problem. We need to apply a public health mm. approach as Senator Tito Soto said. Ong said the country must procure and provide free drugs that cure addiction and increase the number of psychologists and psychiatrists. We should take a science-based approach. We should minimise the stigma on users and provide free medication. There are now medicines that can cure addiction. Hmm, it's an interesting concept. Um, we should not just put them in jail because they will return to being an addict, he said. He added. He said in Manila, under the mayor and presidential candidate Francisco Isco Moreno, 98% of drug users are caught and not killed. Yeah, it goes on to add another vice presidential candidate, Professor Wal- Walden Bellow, has also vowed to fully cooperate with the International Criminal Court regarding the investigation of President Duterte's administration and his war on illegal drugs should he win in the May 9th polls. Bellow said he and his running mate, Leody de Guzman, will support such an investigation on the extrajudicial killings linked to the drug war, stressing that... President Rodrigo Duterte should be jailed for it. Uh-huh. That is a substantial... That's a big one, isn't step. it? I mean, um, that's... That's a pro- big one. ...precluding that one of these pro-ICC rejoining candidates actually, actually is on a winning in. ticket. Yeah. yeah. Full cooperation, and we'll make sure that there is uh, coordination between our justice system and the International Criminal Court because 27,000 extrajudicial executions were directed from the Malacanang Palace. President Duterte cannot escape this responsibility and he should be prosecuted, and I believe he will be prosecuted and brought to a cell in The Hague. Um, Bellow then accused Soto of rewriting history, saying that the latter was an ally, ally of Duterte until very recently. Um, so it sort of goes on in... Uh, Let's be frank, it's um, in the brackets down. Oh, it's in brackets. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to read, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Let's be but, frank with our countrymen and not lie. That's difficult. You push for the anti-terror law, right? Ah, uh, right. Yeah. In response, Soto said Bellow stated inaccurate facts and figures, adding that being Duterte's friend does not mean that he's always his ally. Soto also refuted the claim that uh, he did not come to Dilema's Defence telling Bellow to ask the detained lawmaker herself because he did not allow her to be arrested in the Senate. And I think we reported that um, ages ago when that uh, courageous senator was um, arrested. I've always preserved the independence of the Senate and can ask you can ask the members of the minority and the majority. He then reiterated his scepticism on the accuracy of the number of drug war deaths which are currently being scrutinised by the ICC. According to Soto, there are around 258,000 drug operations from 2016 up till October 2021, while there were around 378,000 arrests and only around 6,000 drug-related deaths. The, the numbers will be investigated by the ICC. Mm. Yeah, well, evidence. Uh, the, the, but well, the numbers earlier on, you know, were, ju- were so much more than that, really, weren't they? They were huge. There's a lot We're, of people that have been killed. After yeah. six months, we reported 
there were already 6,000. Six right. months, the six months into Duterte's tenure, That's right. there were already 6,000 deaths, yeah, and they kept reporting 6,000 deaths for the next 18 mm. months. Mm. As I recall, Jeffrey, it didn't yeah. stop. It stayed the, at 6,000 deaths, a yeah. Lot and it was not true by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. But look, it's encouraging way to finish this week's show with some yes. positive news. Um, Duterte might actually end up being called to account, yep. which he deserves to. Oh, and um, we can just hope that somebody else gets in as vice presidential mm. candidate. Yeah. And we have a different president. Um, and not one of Duterte's running mates mm. in as a vice presidential candidate, and that way they will get back into the ICC. It's long overdue. And we won't have to report on the Philippines anymore <laughs> in anything but a positive way, which Wouldn't would be, be a great relief. Because it's been years of misery. Well, yeah. Thank you, Bryce, for coming Thank on the you show. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. A great pleasure. And um, hope listeners found some interesting stories. We'll be back again next week. We're taking requests uh, for music <laughs> and stories. But we'll do them the next week. We love you all. Look after yourselves and stay safe, And we'll you? leave you with our theme song, uh, Golden Brown. Bye for now. Bye. <laughs>